Last week's episode ended when the Jamestown and Sea Venture survivors had decided to abandon Virginia, boarded their pinnaces, and begun to sail up the James River, heading for Newfoundland. As the two groups of colonists sailed toward the Atlantic, though, they saw a longboat. And as the ships passed each other, an Englishman carrying a piece of paper hopped aboard the Deliverance. He told the colonists that his boat was an advanced party of Lord Delaware's expedition, bringing 150 colonists. This was the first voyage that the company had been able to fund since the Sea Venture, which had driven away investors when it proved to be such a catastrophe. His name was Captain Edward Brewster. He ordered Gates to turn around and to return to Jamestown, and Gates obeyed. You're listening to the American History Podcast with Sarah Tungsalvola, the show exploring who we are and why by tracing American history from the 17th century to the 20th. Later that afternoon, the Sea Venture and Jamestown survivors put together the most formal ceremony they could muster to welcome their new governor. Forming a guard of honor, they watched as Delaware stepped onto the shore, fell to his knees in front of his men, saying a silent prayer, and then stood up and marched briskly past a guard of 50 soldiers cloaked in and carrying flags of his colors. He went to the chapel where he heard a sermon, and after the sermon he had his standard bearer read out his commission, and then he spoke. I can only imagine what the colonists were feeling watching Delaware's talk as he took control of the colony. At this point, they were an exhausted group of people who, not too long ago, had been pushed to behavior they couldn't have imagined back in England. Just 24 hours ago, they thought they were going to escape and go back home, but they were forced to turn around just as they were leaving. Now, they were watching as one of the highest-ranking people in England reprimanded them for their vanity and idleness. Delaware also announced his proposed changes, and these would mark a dramatic and in many ways permanent shift in the colony's direction. Delaware brought changes that would turn the town into a military camp, doing away with all semblance of civilian government, imposing the kind of discipline he believed the colonists lacked, and creating a strict system of rules intended to create unity and stability. A long list of infractions would now be punishable by death, including rape, treasonous speech, theft, and trading with the Indians without permission. Lesser offenses would be punished by beating or galley service. To soften the shock of the change, Delaware also announced that he had brought enough food to last for a year and that he'd be keeping many of the earlier surviving leaders as advisors, though he did have sole power in the colony. Gates, Summers, Newport, Wayneman, Strachey, and Percy were on the list, and Yardley, Percy, Argall, and a couple others would lead militias under Delaware's command. Though the promise of a year's worth of food was a relief, it was by no means a permanent measure. This was May, and it was too late to plant crops. That meant that they couldn't rely on a crop of corn until the next September, which was 16 months away. The Indians also kept killing their livestock, so while they had things like grain, they didn't have meat, and since there was a drought, both meat and fish were proving rare in Virginia. So they really didn't have enough food. They just had enough food that it was no longer the most pressing concern. George Summers offered to go to Bermuda to pick up some supplies, and while people doubted his motives, he was, after all, someone who had wanted to stay behind in Bermuda, Delaware agreed and sent him and Argall on the homemade pinnaces. Summers died in Bermuda, and his nephew buried his heart there, 
And Argyll, on the other hand, was blown off course to Cape Cod, but managed to get a large supply of fish as well as explore the North American coastline. Meanwhile, settlers rebuilt Jamestown, incorporating Indian building techniques, which allowed them to stay cool inside in the summer. Delaware was ill, though, and his condition was exacerbated by a sickness that most new arrivals experienced, and one which would be referred to as seasoning in the future as it continued to devastate Chesapeake society. The Europeans brought deadly illnesses to the Native Americans, but they also experienced deadly illnesses that their own immune systems weren't prepared for. He stayed aboard his ship while his doctor, who left London because of his bad reputation, worked to treat him. As they restructured the colony, the most pressing concern was how to deal with the Powhatan. Both Gates and Delaware agreed that appeasing the Indians and trying to convert them was the right course of action, and that would require making peace with the Powhatan. Their idealistic stance didn't last long. In the summer, Gates went to Fort Algernon to prepare for a fishing expedition. When he saw a longboat get loose and blow across to the south side of the river, he sent a man named Humphrey Blunt in an old canoe to recover it. Blunt's canoe was blown onto a sandbank, and Gates could only watch as a group of Indians seized Blunt, took him to the woods, and tortured him to death, mocking his pained screams as a sign of English weakness. We don't know exactly what the torture entailed, but it forever changed Gates's opinion of the Indians. He went from his peaceful stance to feeling that they were without the possibility of redemption and wanting revenge. The days of Smith-like revenge raids were over, though. Delaware knew that Jamestown was still weak, and that the Powhatan probably had 200 English weapons at this point. He was going to try for peace, but he was also going to approach the problem as a military leader. He needed to know how strong the Powhatan really were, so he told Gates to provoke a confrontation and see what happened. So Gates put a man out into the open to tempt the Indians to come get him. And when they appeared, Gates and his men attacked, killing five men and mortally injuring some others. Gates then plundered the town, though there was virtually nothing in it, and then he returned to Jamestown, leaving the town under the command of George Yardley. Delaware sent two men up the Chickahominy to meet Wahoon Seneca at Orpox, and they were told to say that they didn't blame Wahoon Seneca for the attacks that had devastated their people, they only blamed his worst and most unruly captains, and that they would appreciate if he would order those people to stop their attacks and release their prisoners. If Wahoon Seneca did this, he'd be considered a friend to King James and his subjects. Wahoon Seneca rejected the olive branch and told them that if they left Jamestown, he would unleash all of his people to do mischief on the English. When Delaware sent a second envoy... The Powhatan leader reiterated his position and said he was not to send any more messengers unless they brought a coach and horses like the prominent people of England rode in. The hostility of the confrontation indicated to Delaware that his strategy of peace was impossible. So, as a military man, he committed to war. Delaware's strategy was to have groups of 50 to 100 men sneak up to a village on a river, surprise the inhabitants, kill as many people as possible, burn their houses, and leave with their corn. This was a dramatic shift from the fighting of the early settlement. Instead of a group of individuals, the English were now a military camp. 
earlier, the Indians might have faced John Smith's raids or Martin's bungled raids or whatever it was that happened with Francis West and his men. But it was dispersed and in many ways it was even. And in fact, the Powhatan actually had the upper hand. The individual colonists may have had military experience, but that's all they were, individual colonists. Now they faced an organized military unit led by somebody whose family had been military leaders in England for centuries. It was armored, it was organized, and it was tactical, and the game had just shifted dramatically. In response to the overt hostility, the Powhatan started to ambush people within Jamestown. Delaware caught two ambushers, took them hostage, cut the hand of one off, and sent him back to Wahoon Seneca with a message saying that if all Englishmen and weapons were not immediately returned, the other Paspahagan would die, as would all such of his savages as the Lord Captain and his generals could surprise. He wasn't negotiating, like John Smith. He meant business. Delaware then went with a few other soldiers to avenge Blunt's death. They captured the Kikatan Werewanse, one of his advisors and one of his sons. They sent the son on the next ship to England, and we don't know what happened to the rest. They also sent some black walnut, cedar, oak, and soil samples. And Gates also returned to England, bringing news of the Sea Venture's time on Bermuda, which reinvigorated support for the company and helped raise enough money for two expeditions in 1611. Delaware then sent Percy with 70 men to raid Paspahay. Percy took a Powhatan defector as a guide, but when it became clear that the guide was still working for the Powhatan, he threatened to cut his head off. The guide then took them to Paspahay, and when they reached the town, they killed 15 to 16 people, and the rest fled. One of Percy's lieutenants then returned with the town's queen, her children, and another prisoner. Percy ordered the captive's head to be cut off and the cornfields in town to be burned. On board the ship, they decided to kill the children, and on their way back, they fought off another attack and then returned to Jamestown, queen in tow. Delaware was happy with their results, but annoyed that they'd left the queen alive. He ordered Percy to kill her, preferably by burning her like a witch. Percy said that he'd seen enough bloodshed for the day, and with a cooler head he didn't want to see any more, so he ordered Davies to kill her as quickly and painlessly as possible. The killing of women and children was the clearest violation of the laws of war, which was the 17th century equivalent of a war crime, that the English had committed yet. In a letter to his brother two years later, Percy didn't disguise or try to justify the brutality. He simply said that after the starving time, relations with the Indians had crossed a threshold. It was no longer a struggle for territory, but a clash of civilizations. He had just watched well over a hundred people, some he knew, some children and some women, die horrible deaths at the hands of the Powhatan, and he was done. Gates had gone to England, so Argall took his place as a military leader. He raided the Wares Koyaks, mostly just stealing corn, and then he went north to meet the Patawomic. The Patawomic were a rival tribe to the Powhatan, who lived at the north of the Chesapeake. They were the members of the tribe that Francis West had dealt with so brutally, but Smith had gotten along with them pretty well. Argall met Yopasa, the brother of the tribe's leader, and Yopasa greeted him like a brother. He also found that Spellman had been living with the Patawomic, during this time, he spoke with the chief and exchanged creation stories and even read the Bible to him. 
and began a friendship that would be very important to the English in the future. Meanwhile, the Powhatan responded to English raids with hit-and-run attacks, and they managed to kill about a third of the remaining colonists over the next few months, including Delaware's nephew, William West. It was also during this time period that the colonists got one of their more unique residents when they captured a Spanish spy named Don Diego de Molina. Molina would spend the next five years of his life observing the struggles of the colony from a prison cell. Delaware's illness forced him to return to England via the Caribbean in August, and at home he was accused of cowardice. He left Percy in charge of Jamestown, but Percy was almost immediately replaced as leader by Thomas Dale. Percy himself wouldn't stay in Virginia for long, and he left by the next April. He would never return to North America, but he remained interested in colonization ventures and tried unsuccessfully to start a colony in Guiana. His health was better in southern climates, but he ultimately joined the military and died in the Low Countries a few years later. Dale was a man of lower social status who had worked his way up through the military from common soldier to serving some of the highest men in England. We don't know all that much about his background, but Dale also had a Puritan outlook and spoke fluent Dutch as well as English. He'd been serving in the Netherlands, but Prince Henry, James's beloved older son who was dedicated to the colonization of America, had personally asked that Dale be given a three-year leave of absence from the military to go to Virginia. Dale immediately solidified and expanded everything that Delaware started. He built Henrico, but the most notable implementation of this was a refined and expanded version of Delaware's strict rules called the Laws Martial, Divine, and Moral. Now, virtually any misconduct resulted in the death penalty, and even swearing was punished by a lifetime ban on owning property. And it wasn't just harsh, it was brutal. Dale showed no sympathy for people based on their situations. One person who stole to satisfy his hunger was chained to a tree until he starved to death. Others were simply hanged. Dale's government prompted several settlers to risk death to go join the Indians, and Molina, the Spanish spy, even managed to convince some people to try to escape to Spanish Florida. We don't know what happened to them, but Molina doubted Dale's motives when Dale said that they'd been killed by savages. Molina even said that many settlers at this time would have welcomed Spanish invaders as liberators. He said that the colonists were held captive by their own masters, and that he saw them as brothers whose distress he felt more than his own. On the other hand, some people approved of Dale's measures. Ralph Hamer, one of the Bermuda castaways, thought that Dale's rules were the only way to deal with the dangerous and incurable members of the colony, and justified his brutality by saying that harsher measures had been used in France. John Rolfe said that they ensured that men spent their time productively, Dale's laws brought the kind of order and stability that tyranny tends to bring, and the company approved of what he was doing. In addition to tyranny, Dale's reforms brought economic privatization that helped people survive better. Now, private gardens would provide food, while public ones would be used for the crops that were sent back to the company. Each region specialized in something different, and they would trade. The beginnings of a market economy started to emerge within the context of Virginia, not just a Virginia that acted as a part of a greater market economy. 
This period of Jamestown history also brought the influence of Robert Rich, the Earl of Warwick. Warwick was a major Puritan, and his son would actually end up becoming a leader of the parliamentary side during the English Civil War. Warwick, like many Puritans, was a merchant, and in particular he owned a ship called the Treasurer, which he made openly available to the Virginia Company. He also bought a share in the company, and he was hoping to turn Virginia into a base for piracy against the Spanish. Dale continued the war against the Powhatan, and obviously he was also a military leader, so his men continued the strategy of marching in armored formation, and the Powhatan couldn't combat that. Though they might inflict the occasional injury, armor meant that the Powhatan could no longer attack the English head-on. They simply could not win in direct conflict. Worse, if they tried, they would show that they had no answer to English technical superiority. With such a demonstration... Tribes who remained part of the Powhatan Empire out of fear rather than loyalty, which was most of them, might seek an alliance with the English. The English encouraged this by offering to take less in tribute than Wahoon Seneca did. All the Powhatan could do was more hit-and-run raids. The enforcement of discipline and the introduction of military organization to the colony didn't help its deeper issues, though. The Virginia Company was still nearly bankrupt. When Gates returned, he brought 300 men, though he had tried to recruit 2,000. Virginia's great hero, Prince Henry, died. And in fact, though they had fixed the aesthetics problems and perhaps some of the food issues, on the whole, things were so dire that the Spanish didn't even consider wiping out Jamestown to be worth the money that it would cost because the colony would likely sink on its own within a year or two. Dale blamed the colonists for the failures. He said that the English were intentionally being lazy so that the company would shut down and they could go home, and that they would rather starve than work. The people blamed Dale, saying that his unjust laws were mercilessly executed without trial or judgment and that they had insufficient daily rations of moldy oatmeal and peas that were not fit for beasts, forcing colonists to flee to the Indians for relief. The Spanish probably had the best view of the situation, saying that the bad reputation of the colony in England was driving away investors and especially settlers. As harsh as Dale's rule was, though, the war with the Powhatan was even more damaging. Hit-and-run raids made day-to-day -day life difficult, and the fighting was diverting the resources necessary to grow the colony. The colony would never be viable until the war was over. So next week, we'll discuss how the war ended. And that's a story which brings the return of Jamestown's most famous character, Pocahontas. Thanks for listening. If you have any opinions, thoughts, or theories about anything we've discussed in the show, I'd love to hear from you either on Facebook or Twitter, and you can find those links at the website AmericanHistoryPodcast.net, as well as links to first-hand accounts and things. See you next week! <laughs>